welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 35 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 7th of February 2010, entitled The Truth About Satan, Part 5, and the Bible reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to be opening your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 14 this morning again. Isaiah chapter 14. Now, I hope you believe those words that we have been singing about. You know, faith really is the victory. We can be more than conquerors today through Him. And it's all about Jesus. Uh, it truly is Him amongst us, Him in us. It gives us the prayer and the hope that we have this morning. As we continue in our series on contending for the faith, and as we look back in our passage this morning concerning the truth about Satan, in Isaiah chapter 14, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as once again we pick up and read with verses 12 through 17 there. Isaiah 14 and verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners. Father, we thank you again this morning for this time that we have together in your word, in your house, in your presence. And Father, we pray now that as we look into your word once again this day, we pray for the anointing that only you can give. Father, that no man would be seen, but that these words may be made alive into our hearts, the words from you, Lord, and that you might speak and use thy servant today. Lord, you know the needs of each and every heart that is here. You know the needs of each and every individual. We pray, Lord, that we would be responsive to that which you would speak to us. Lord, that that would be accomplished in each life here today, which you would desire, which would be according to your perfect will. We're saying, in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, it may seem a bit strange to start with. Of course, I have been known to do a few strange things, but maybe strange, especially this day as we are coming around the Lord's table, to be thinking of this thought as we continue in our series on the truth about Satan. But of course, as we have looked at this topic, we began by looking at this person that so many believe is just some evil force out there, some dark force to, to contend with. 
But we saw how that biblically, as we look at the truth about Satan, that he is definitely a person that was created by God, that was created in absolute perfection as everything that God uh, creates, but that he became corrupt in his performance, that sin entered in, and that as a result, in all of his corruptness, we saw that he is described as the most subtle we saw him as one that has access to both God and man, as the great accuser of the brethren, as the great tempter, as the father of sinners, as the originator of sin itself. And as we look at this one, this person called Satan, created as an angelic being before he fell, we also looked at his position. He was fallen from heaven. He was cut down to the ground. But we see currently, we see him in the Bible called the prince of the power of the air. We see him called the prince of this world, of this world system that you and I live in. We see him called the God of this world, the ruler of the world system that we all live in right now. And of course, we continued by looking at his purpose that he has two primary purposes in his heart. One is to defeat God, and the other is to destroy man. And, of course, he really thought in his heart that he could destroy God. But we know that the end of that story. <laughs> but we said that even now he still attempts to destroy man, whether he be a child of God or not. He wants to destroy you for all of eternity if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you are a child of God, He would like to destroy your testimony, your effectiveness. He would like to get you so despondent and so down that you would accomplish absolutely nothing for the Lord. We looked at some of the ways He does that. Just a few of them through temptation and deception, through the blinding of the eyes, through the stealing of God's words, we find that as we looked further, we looked also at his power. We saw that he has the power to affect places. We have many of the things right here in our text before us where we've been taking many of these things from. How that he weakened the nations and made the earth to tremble and to shake kingdoms and to make the world as a wilderness to destroy the cities of thereof. We saw also his power in affecting people. As we looked there last week, those last words that open not the house of the prisoners, we find that we saw how that he has power over the angels above in Jude, and we saw how that he has power over the demons below, but we saw how he had power over the unsaved. Open not the house of the prisoners. <laughs> He'll never freely let anybody out of the bondage that he has them in, I can assure you. And the sad thing is there's no human being that can break that bondage, that can get out of that prison that he holds them in of their own power. We know that it takes a power that is beyond our own to set man free. And of course, we look at the power that he has over the saved. And as we look there, we of course, looked at a number of the things in dealing with, with Job. And of course, keep in mind that as the saved, he can only have the power that God allows him to have. And whatever God allows in your life is going to be for your good. 
We saw how these things can come about for different reasons, for testimony, for witness, for strengthening, even for correction. We saw how in 1 Corinthians that one was actually turned over to Satan for the destruction of the body, that the soul might be saved in the day of the Lord. So we find that there are various reasons. But as we move forward today quickly, we said that the truth is that we know his providence. We know what lies ahead for him. Verse 15 here in our text says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Yes, he's accomplished all these things, and people are sitting back and saying, can this possibly be the same man? We've already seen when we looked at Ezekiel chapter 28 how that providentially Satan is already judged and Satan is already condemned in heaven. He was judged and condemned from the very presence of God in the garden the curse and the condemnation that was brought upon him there in the earth at Christ's return. But fortunately, in eternity. It's these last two that we want to return our attention to here more directly this morning, and I'm going to refer you back, and we will not spend a lot of time here because we have spent a fair amount of time already. But if you look into the uh, Revelations chapter 19, and 20, and if you by chance have your charts when we looked at some of these things during our time of looking at the second coming of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll find that uh, on that chart that, that was given to you there, that uh, there's a number of things that take place that we know uh, is going to come in the, the time at the close of the, uh, the seven years of tribulation here upon this earth. And of course, if you're looking on your time chart, if you come down to number five where it says dooms and come straight across, you see that, that uh, it is here that we see the, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the battle of Armageddon right there. And as we come across, we see where that the beast, the false prophet, and right across to Satan himself being cast into the lake of fire. All of these things being done, of course, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've got your time charts that we looked at at that time, just in the bottom right-hand corner of those time charts, you'll see all of these events as they begin right there at the close of the seven years of tribulation. You find that the events begin to unfold where that Satan's end is certain. Now notice there, I'm just going to read these, and I say we're not going to, to dwell there, but it all begins with Jesus Christ himself. Remember, the rapture has already taken place prior to the seven years of tribulation. We've been in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, at the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're returning with Christ to this earth when he comes to set up his literal kingdom here upon this earth for the thousand years, the area in green on your time chart there. Now, when Christ comes back to this earth, notice in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. 
He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourself together into the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, and against his army. And the beast was taken. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. He gives us quite a list of names just in case you hadn't figured out who he is. And bound him a thousand years. Cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sit upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Folks, we know the end of the story. We know where Satan is going to end up and where he is going to remain. God said forever and ever. No end to it whatsoever.
Those things are all laid out for you. They're on your timeline. But in the end, we know, we know how that it's going to end for him. And of course, we know that when God says it, that it's certain. God's word says that there's coming a time, and we have many of the events laid out and spelled out there for us that we've looked at in the past of Satan himself. And I know there's a lot of things that come in, you know, a lot of people still say, well, why did he have to be, and why is he allowed to do this, and why is he allowed to do that? But what I want you to grasp and understand today, as we look at the truth about Satan, as we're looking at the fundamentals of the faith that we hold dear, that this one that has caused all this, that has literally shaken this earth, that his end is sure, and it's doomed. And God himself has promised where it will end for him. But there's one other matter that's so vital. We know that's all in the future. We know that right now we still live in this real world where that he is the prince of the power of the air, where he is called the prince of this world, the, the God of this world, where he is controlling this world system that we live in. How do we deal with it today? Thank God that we can know that the victory is with the Lord Jesus Christ, that Satan is already defeated. But what I want to give you in, in, in coming to the end of this series, if you would, is your protection. How can you stand against him and be secure and know that? In recognizing and understanding as much as we can about our enemy, folks, we are not meant to be walking around in fear. Yes, he causes this world to tremble. Yes, he can shake very cities of this earth. But you and I, who have the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts, it's not meant for us to be fearful. The Bible says perfect love casteth out fear. It shouldn't even be a part of our mentality. I'm saying that we can have an absolute confidence today in our protection. Yes, he is a formidable enemy, and we better recognize him and know that he's there and know that he's real and know that he's not just some kind of, of dark force. But as we do that, how can we have that confidence? Well, I want to give you just a few things that will help you. First of all, Brother Steve, is called the blood. <laughs> the blood. Look with me. You're still there in Revelation Turn back just a few pages to Revelation chapter 12. Now, of course, we could embark upon, upon the blood and we could, well, we could spend a lot of time in God's Word talking about the blood. But I just want to give you something here to help you, to strengthen you, to encourage you this morning. Notice in Revelation chapter 12, notice what it says in verse 10 and 11. It says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. 
I want you to recognize first of all and foremost that if you want to have confidence and you want to stand against this enemy that we call Satan, then you need to be absolutely certain, 100%, more than anything else in this world, that you are under the blood. That's your protection. He can't get through that, folks. There is absolutely nothing to fear when you're under the blood. And, of course, he gives us some other things here, the words of our testimony, that fact that they, didn't, they weren't concerned about their own lives, this fleshly life because their focus was on something beyond this earth. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. You know, this is the very last reference in the Bible to the shed blood of the Lamb that the Lord Jesus Christ shed. Here, it is that overcoming blood, that blood that enables believers to withstand all those deceptions and accusations of Satan. There are at least 43 references to the blood of Christ in the New Testament. And all of them, all of them testifying to its great importance in the salvation and the daily life of the believer. You can't be saved without it. You can't survive without it. Judas, the betrayer, spoke of it as innocent blood. Peter called it the, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. John says in 1 John 1, 7 that it's the, the cleansing blood. In Revelation 1, 5, the, the washing blood, stressing that it removes the guilt of our sins. But here in Revelation 12, it's the overcoming blood that will enable you to withstand the deceptions and the accusations of Satan, it is your protection against that awful enemy. Without it, may I say, you have no protection. You cannot stand up to Satan in your flesh. All the power. You can have the, the, you know, the greatest power that man can muster. You're still no match. But with the blood of Christ, you're safe. If you're under the blood, there is simply nothing that anyone or anybody can do to you. Without it, there's nothing that anybody can do for you. But with it, there's nothing they can do to you. You see, your protection comes in the blood. But can I say secondly this morning that your protection comes in a little bit of backbone. <laughs> a little bit of backbone. What do you mean? Look with me into the book of James. In James chapter 4, notice what it says in verse 7. He says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourself. You see, I hear a lot of people talk about this passage a lot of times. Resist the devil and he shall flee from you. But that's not all that it says. He says, Submit yourselves, therefore to God, resist the devil and he flee from you. Now, folks, we could spend a whole sermon right here. We could even make a series out of it probably. But what I want you to grasp with this word submit here, and it's originally, it's, it's a military term that literally means to line up underneath. And what he's saying to you here when it's used of soldiers in being an absolute complete submission and lining themselves up under the authority of their commander. 
You see, here he's saying to you as a child of God, the first thing you need to do is submit and get in line under God, under his authority, where you need to be. And then he uses this word resist, which is really the opposite side of that command, which means to take your stand against. So look at what he's saying to us. Everyone, everyone, you're either under the lordship of Christ or Satan. We've seen that already in so many passages. Folks, there's no middle ground. You're on one side or the other. You're going to listen to one or the other. And in fact, this matter who that you submit yourself to and who that you obey, that's going to show us whose side that you're on. We find that as believers, as faithful followers of Christ, he's saying that we must submit. We need to make sure of our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as soldiers of the cross, we need to be in complete submission to him, lined up under his authority, obeying his command. And as we do that, then we can resist. We can take our stand against Satan, standing with Christ, standing against Satan, submit and resist. Submit and resist. Submit to Christ. Resist Satan. And then the result will be that he will flee from you. You can resist him all you want. But unless you're in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not going to make him flee. He's not afraid of you. <laughs> it's the Lord Jesus Christ that he fears. That's where the power lies. You see, he's already defeated in Christ. Now, what else do you need that will help you? The blood some backbone to make your allegiance sure, to submit yourself. And boy, can we say so much there. And then to stand against Satan. But thirdly, may I say, belief. We sing about it when we talk about faith is the victory. Belief. First of all, belief in the Savior. Belief in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Notice what he says beginning in verse 9 and reading down through verse 15. It says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Why? That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all of their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus Christ, he came to this earth. He took on the flesh. He went through everything that he can. Why? To destroy Satan and to deliver you. Jesus Christ. Everything that we look at, everything that we see, all of the protection that we have against this one called Satan, it all comes back to Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Christ that protects us. It's submitting to Christ that will protect us. 
and it's belief or faith in that same Christ. I'm amazed at how so many believers can often have the faith to, to trust Christ for their salvation, but not enough to trust him day by day. What sense does it really make to say that we believe that what Christ did when he died and when he rose again, that it was enough to defeat Satan in keeping us out of hell, but it's not enough to get us through day by day against whatever he might bring against us? What sense does that make? Do you believe that what Christ did, he did, and it was sufficient? You see, I'm talking about if you want to stand against the enemy, then it's going to require the blood. And it's going to require some backbone. And it's going to require some belief, some real faith that what Jesus did really was sufficient. That when it says here that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their life subject to bondage. Do you believe that what Christ did, that he did to destroy Satan, and to deliver them who, them that belong to him. You, here this morning, if you're a child of God, do you believe that what the Bible says when it says that what Jesus Christ did was sufficient to destroy the enemy and to deliver you? Do you really believe that that's the truth? Do you believe it? You know, you never know. How much you really believe anything until it's truth or it's falsehood really comes down to a matter of life or death. It's easy to believe that a rope is strong as long as you're merely using it to tie a box shut. <laughs> but suppose you had to hang by that same rope over a crevice or a precipice that was, that was there that your life depended upon it. I think then you'd find out just how much you really trusted the strength of that rope. Folks, I'm saying it's one thing to say, oh, yeah, we believe. We believe that Jesus is strong enough. We believe that he's conquered the enemy. We believe that what he's done is sufficient but I'm saying, do we believe it enough to trust it day by day as we hang on that truth and believe it with all of our lives? You see, I want to take that belief just a step further, Brother Steve. Not just believing in Jesus Christ, but faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Do we believe God's Word? Because in fact, we could go down this theological trail. You can't really separate Jesus and His Word. Belief, faith. First John chapter 4, verses 2 to 4. Verse 2 says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, Whereof ye have heard that it shall come, and even now already is it in the world. Listen, verse 4, ye are of God, little children, 
and have overcome them. Overcome who? Overcome those spirit of Antichrist. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I'm saying, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that Jesus Christ lives and dwells within us and that he's greater than anything that Satan or this world can bring against us? We read it, we believe it, we tell others that we believe it, but when it comes down to our life depending on it, do we practice it? I remember reading the story and I wish I, wish I had the means here in this building to illustrate it this morning. There's a law when it comes to science, it's called the law of the pendulum. Anybody know what the law of the pendulum is? Basically, if I had a pendulum here this morning, I could hang it from this ceiling, and let's say I had a, 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 just a steel weight hanging on the bottom of it. Well, the law of the pendulum says that whatever point that I come back and, and release that pendulum in the air, it can never reach that point again. Every time that it swings, it's going to come a little bit lower and a little bit lower. It can never, it can never climb to that same height again. Or I remember reading in somebody in university and this, they were doing their project and they got up and this was what they were trying to prove. And you did it by taking a string and, and hanging a, a spinning top on it and putting it up on the board at the front. And, and he put a mark on the board and he dropped that pendulum. And sure enough, every time it came back, he put another mark, another mark, another mark. And every time it was just a little bit lower. And in the end, he says, does everybody believe the law of the pendulum? Yes, 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 yes. Everybody believed it. The professor, he was really, you know, he was really proud. You know, this was good and all this. And they thought he was finished. And the professor started making his way back to the front, but he had only just begun, Brother Chris. <laughs> he said, do you really believe the law of the pendulum? And so he takes a chair and he sets it up on the desk. And then he ties this rope down through the middle from the steel rafter that hung across the top. And he's got this big weight of some kind that's hanging on it. And he sets the professor in that chair on top of the desk. And he brings that pendulum up and he, and he literally brings it right up and he holds it just below the professor's nose, <laughs> and then he lets go. They said it didn't even have to make start coming back down the other side. You never saw a professor getting off a desk and out of the way before that weight got back to him. You see, it was easy for him to say in theory that he believed it, but when that weight started making its way back to him, did he really believe it? No. That's the way we practice our Christian faith so much of the time. It's easy for us to say we believe it. And I'm saying today, folks, we've got a battle on our hands. We know the end of the story. God's told us how it's going to end. But right now, how are you going to be able to defeat that enemy? Well, I'm going to read you this just before that we come around the, the Lord's table in Romans chapter 8. You see, I'll tell you how that I can end up at the Lord's table after talking about Satan this morning, because, folks, it's all about him. As we come to remember by taking of this bread and drinking of this cup this morning, everything that we see this morning, all the protection we have, we have everything that we need, but all that we need is in one person, and his name is Jesus. And it's this blood that this cup symbolizes. If you're not under that blood, you see taking of this bread and this cup that's here today, it can accomplish nothing. As a matter of fact, if you're not a child of God that's living like they ought to and in a position that you ought to be coming to this table, you're far better off to leave it alone and not touch it anyway. But it's symbolic of the one whom we're saying 
that we're testifying until he comes. As a local body of believers right here, this church, that as we come around this table, that we're saying in our united heart together that all of our hope, all of our faith, all of our trust is in what he did when he died, when his body was broken, when he shed his blood that we symbolically take of here today and we testify to those others, this is where all of our hope and faith lies. The truth is, are we living like what we're even testifying when we take of this bread and this cup? Do we really believe it? Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. He goes on to say, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. It's all done, folks. If you're saved, the end of the story is known. God doesn't start a work and leave it undone partway through. All those words are past tense. If you're saved, the fact is, is that there is no way in the world that you're not going to reach the glorification stage one day. He goes on here, and he says, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He says, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we really believe? You need the blood. And you need some backbone, Christians. But you need some faith. You need to believe. You need to believe, really believe that what Jesus did was sufficient, that he has conquered Satan. You need to believe God's word when he says it. Not just enough to say, yes, I agree with it, but enough to live it, enough to sit there when that weight's coming right at you and to know that it cannot fail. It's one thing to say, I believe that pendulum can never pass that point again. But are you practicing it in your life? You see, the truth is today, it's all in Jesus Christ. Now, God willing, God willing this evening, we're going to take, I mean, such a fast summary overview because there's one other thing that you need in this battle, and that's the battle armor.
But you just had a whole series back in the summertime when, when Pastor Iveson went through a whole series on the battle armor with you. Been a few years back since in, in, in our Bible study time that we went through a whole series on the battle armor. So don't even think that I can give you a good summary of it in one sermon this evening, but, but we're going to look at it. And, of course, that's the theme. As our conference begins here next week, that's the theme of this conference. Folks, we want to be built up. We want to be able to go into battle. We want to be able to, to truly get out there and fight the battle and speak forth boldly for our Lord Jesus Christ. But here this morning, as I look around, you know, I don't see any unfamiliar faces here today. And as we come around this, this table, you've heard me say time and time and time again, there is nothing this table can accomplish for you if it's not already accomplished in your heart. The truth is, it's to remind us, it's to put us in remembrance of Jesus Christ. And as we come into his presence, folks, it is that sin in our lives that can separate us. Now, as we come together today, as a church around this table to be able to remember his body and his blood, then I trust, first of all, I pray that you know that you're saved, that you followed the Lord in believer's baptism, because that is the first step of obedience. And folks, you ought to be a part of a New Testament Bible-believing church, because that's where God accomplishes his work in the New Testament. The truth is, that as we come together in unity here as a body, then we could ask nothing less than what God himself has laid down as a prescription. Now, if you're here and you're not a, a member of this church today, then we invite you, if you feel free in your heart and you're of a church of light, precious faith, in other words, that you can stand in agreement with us we put forth very clearly what we stand for as a church in our statement of faith. The truth is that the Lord's table is not a place for disunity. But the truth is today that even as a body of Christ, even as a body of Christ, we can take light, we can make a mockery of it today. The Bible says examine yourself. Examine yourself. God wants you to look into your heart. Now, I know I don't always like what I see in the mirror. <laughs> Matter of fact, I very seldom like what I see in the mirror. But the truth is, I like the one that I really truly believe with all my heart that God sees me in. My worthiness today doesn't come in my flesh and my actions and my beings, but it comes right back to that submission, that authority of truly being in Christ today. That's your worthiness, folks, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, if there's something in your life that is separating you, some sin that is there, then I pray at this time that you would deal with that. I pray that if, that if it's something that you can deal with yourself right there, you do so. If it's somebody else you need to deal with it with, then you do so. But deal with it. What God wants is fellowship. Today, the bread and the cup won't give you that fellowship. The only thing that will really give you that fellowship today is examining yourself and dealing with anything that's there that's separating you and make sure that in your heart that truly, genuinely, you're where you need to be with the Lord. Not in your perfection, but you're completely in Christ with no known sin in your life separating you today. Father, we know that those that are here today, Father, they, 
they already understand and, and know what it means to come around this table. But Father, we pray that, Lord, as we come, even as today, that, Lord, we can never do this without, Lord, at least reminding us of the importance of that examining, Lord, knowing where we are. Man doesn't have the right to do things his own way. Father, it needs to be your way or no way at all. So we pray, Lord, that as, as a church here today, as we come around this table in our oneness, Lord, just as you did with your apostles there in the upper room, we pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon our time together. We pray that it would be a time today, yes, Lord, that hearts would be examined and that things would be dealt with that need to be dealt with and not just looked over. And, Father, also that it would be a time that we could know that sweet fellowship, that nearness. That people could be encouraged here today as we're reminded, Lord, just what we have in you and as we've seen today, that, Lord, that it's in our Lord Jesus Christ that we have all the protection, all the power that we need to stand against our enemy. Help us to know that nearness here today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.